Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm Sandra Ladd, and I'm the Senior Minister for First Christian Church Stillwater. We are growing a Christ-centered, compassionate church where all can connect to God's love. And we hope that in this time you experience growth. We pray that this time will help you focus and center on Christ and that in this time you will sense care and compassion. We pray that this time provide you with a deeper connection to the love of God. Grace and peace be with you. And again, we thank you so much for gifting us with your time. So we are one week away from the year end, according to the way that the church tells time. The first Sunday in Advent is December 5th, just week after next. And that actually marks the beginning of the church year. So next Sunday is Christ the King or Good Shepherd Sunday, depending on what um, the minister chooses to focus on. It is the traditional ending of the church year. Once again, I would love to say that we intentionally timed our Thanksgiving celebration, highlighting all the things that God has done in 2023 and introducing our vision for 2024 to coordinate with the church calendar and the scripture passages for today. But I can't take credit for that. Nobody on our staff can take credit for that. I also will not say that it just happened by coincidence. I believe this is more evidence yet again that God is with us and I am extremely grateful for God's guidance and God's provision. The New Testament passage today is from Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30 where Jesus is addressing the disciples and telling them that horrible things are about to happen and that he won't be physically present with them to help. He wants them to know that he is entrusting his influence to them telling them, go now and do the things that you have seen me do. Jesus shares a parable about a man who is leaving on a journey and he entrusts his slaves with talents to one five talents, to another two, and to a third one one, to each according to their ability. And he goes away and he stays away for an extended period of time. The one with five talents increases those talents by five. The one with two increases those talents by two. But the one who was only given one buries his talent, uh, hides it. And um, after a long time, the master comes back again to settle accounts. The one who had received his five brings him the ten. The one who had two brings him the four. To both of them, he says, well done. You have been trustworthy over a few things. I'm going to give you more things to be in charge of. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who buried his talent, however, is rebuked and makes the terrible mistake of trying to blame it on his master, which gets him into even more trouble. The parable of the talents is among one of the most abused passages of the New Testament. The parable was not recorded to justify this gospel of of prosperity. God is happy when we accumulate the right things, not necessarily money. God is not a God of bigger and better or of more Instead, it's a passage that challenges believers to imitate their master by using all that God has given them for the sake of the mission of God. 
Once again, the story informs disciples that they will have to endure some very difficult times, encouraging them to live in anticipation of the return of Christ. You know, I was so impressed last week with Gwen's confident conviction that Christ would indeed return. She said it with such assurance. I have replayed that little phrase in my mind numerous times throughout this week. If you were paying attention, you witnessed a very powerful example of how we're all supposed to live in absolute certainty that Christ will return. But the focus, as Gwen said, should not be on the when, but on the how we live our lives while we wait. I want to point out that each servant received what they needed according to their ability. One wasn't greater than, the other was not less than. Everyone had what they needed to accomplish the purpose for which they were created. Now, a talent would be roughly equivalent to 20 years of wages for the average worker of the day. So five talents would have been the largest, which was the largest amount that was entrusted to one of the servants, would have been comparable to 100 years worth of labor. It would have been an astronomical amount of money. I think that we can assume that this is not about money. Instead, it's about wisdom. It's, it's, it's wise to assume that there's a lesson in this story that teaches us about what God values and maybe retrains our our human values. Uh, master expected the servants would continue his business, would take risks that bring increase, and mostly would imitate his behavior. Two of the servants were found faithful and re were rewarded. Their faithfulness brought the master increase and ins expanded his estate. Jesus tells this story to disciples. I want to say that again preparing them for days ahead where their faith was going to be tested. The parable teaches disciples how to be faithful. So we need to ask the question, what does faithfulness look like in a time of waiting? In Matthew, faithful followers imitate Jesus. They feed the hungry, they cure the sick, they bless the meek, and they serve the least. We are called, we are called, to preach the good news of the kingdom to the whole world by going about the work to which we have been called, by visiting the sick, by caring for those who are in prison, by clothing the naked, by welcoming the stranger, by giving blood at the FCC blood drive, by providing for Thanksgiving baskets that go to needy families, by gathering in worship, by celebrating the work of God through the church and on and on and on. God has entrusted us to be image bearers of God in the world. We have been diversely gifted in our abilities. We are artists, we are musicians, we are poets, we are doctors, lawyers, janitors, teachers, construction workers. Whatever you do matters. Jesus gave us an example of fulfilling God's mission. It looks like loving people in the most difficult, challenging, painful experiences possible. 
how we do worship, which not only happens inside these walls in the hour that we gather each week, but happens both inside and outside these walls, either hinders or continues the mission of God. Don't overlook why God wants us investing in things of importance so that we can share in the joy of God. That's a promise worth investing in. The Old Testament passage is from Judges 4, 1 through 7. Last week I mentioned that the passage used the word serve or serve 14 times in 15 verses. There is also a repeated phrase in the entire book of Judges and it's the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, the Israelites did what was evil in sight of the Lord. This is the only passage that we will study from the book of Judges. It's the only one that appears in the Revised Common Lectionary. And I pray that it inspires a desire to dig into this fascinating book on your own. I promise your perspectives will shift. Judges plays a crucial role in the Hebrew Bible. It preserves the story of local God-led heroes as well as conveying the struggles through uh, tales, the struggles to live in community. In a segment today, the hero is Deborah, the God-appointed judge leader of Israel. I still ask myself, when did the church decide that women were not qualified to lead the church, that women in leadership actually went against the word of God when in fact, God appointed women in leadership roles from the very beginning? I am so grateful for the faithful who stood up for what they saw written within the pages. Judges is one of the books that God used to open my eyes to this truth. And that's one of many, many important truths that are revealed through the pages of Judges. In our passage today, Deborah prophesies to Barak and, sends, and tells him that God has chosen him to lead the battle to defeat Jabin's army. Barak tells her that He'll go, but only if she goes to battle with him. And Deborah agrees, but she says, um, you're, the victory will be won, but you will not get credit for the victory because you relied on a woman to go with you into battle. The credit for this victory will go to a woman. Every one of Deborah's prophecies are fulfilled. What's interesting is Deborah is not the woman who gets credit or who is the one who uh, leads the efforts for the battle against Jabin to be won. It is another woman in an unexpected twist. It is a story that is filled with courage and fear, success, and failure, deception, and honesty, life, and death, victory, and defeat, kind of like life, right? There are some constants in the book of Judges. The people constantly turn from God, only to turn back again when their way leads them into trouble, and an even more important constant, that God is ever and always faithful. He is the way maker that we sang about earlier, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. I want to pause because I hope you noticed that it was Gavin leading that song. Gavin, who is on break from his tour, uh, his Broadway tour for the musical Hairspray. We only have a few tickets left to go see him in January, so there's a, a brief plug. 
God is the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, God is who God says he is, and his promises are always faithful and true. Psalm 90 is highlighted, uh, the highlighted psalm for today. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. I want you to think about that. God wants us to live in him. God wants to be our protection, our shelter, our comfort. The passage concludes this way, so teach us to count our days that we might gain a wise heart. Teach us. We're not here forever. Teach us that our time on this earth is limited. Our chance to love, our chances to connect, our chance to live into our purpose, to make a difference. They can't be put off for another day. Every moment matters. To, take the, to make the most of those moments, we need to have a wise heart. We need God's help and guidance. We conclude with our focus passage from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Please stand in body or in spirit as you are able as we read together God's word gifted to us this day. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of love, faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as indeed you are doing. Thanks be to God for his word. Will you join me please in prayer? Holy Spirit, we invite your work in us. Teach, correct, rebuke, convict, and guide. Equip us to live fully into the purpose for which we were created. Amen. These words from 1 Thessalonians move us to the end of the church year anticipating Advent, which begins, I'll say again, week after next. How we mark time says a lot about what we value, what matters. And Paul reminds us that beyond cradle-to-grave moments accompanied by seasons of aging, our lives are intended to center around the second coming of Christ. Paul views the second coming of Christ as a source of hope and also as a moment of accountability. 
a time that we must face God and ourselves honestly. Richard Rohr describes this, uh, describes the journey of the journey of life, a time of discovering our true selves, the person that we are created to be, letting go of all that hinders and holds back or is our false self, or the person that we become, and stepping into our true self. Again, who we were created to be. In biblical terms, it's described as stepping out of the darkness and into the light. The passage describes the second coming in two ways, like a thief coming in the night, unexpected, unplanned for, but also like the labor pains of expectant parents who know the baby is coming. There is probably a predicted due date, but the day and the hour are completely unknown. Mama can hear lots of stories about what that time will be like, both beautiful and terrifying, but until she experiences it, she really can't be certain of what it will be like. Paul instructs us to guard our hearts with faith and love and our minds with the hope of salvation. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but not yet seen. So faith plants itself in your heart, but it moves to your mind where the greatest battles take place. Did you catch that next sentence? God has destined us. God has destined us, not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. It seems as if Women not allowed to be leaders isn't the only error in the message of some congregations. If God has destined us for salvation, won't God be able to accomplish God's mission successfully? This may go against uh, pastoral protocol of many congregations, but I'm going to tell you, I continue to learn and grow in my knowledge and understanding of God. There was a time when I thought I knew the way. Now all I know is that I don't know a lot and I misunderstood many times. There's a popular trend among young people right now that is called deconstructing faith. Many see it as a negative movement, but I think it's not only positive but necessary. It's rooted in the desire to remove anything that hinders and holds back and replace it with things that move us toward God. So it is a deconstructing of ideas and ideologies that were not useful in faith, but reconstructing with things that are scriptural and have proved to be right and true. It says to me that faith matters, true, real relevant faith, not just what I've been told, not what has just been passed down, not what I accepted, not what I believed but never actually lived. Faith that is real and open and honest and effective. Faith faith that trusts in God, not in self. Faith that believes that God has a plan, that God cares, that God is indeed with us. I continue to question Nearly every day, why God called me to this? I am certainly not qualified. The only answer that I have for now is that God loved me that much. That God loved me so much that if I were the only one to gain any real knowledge or understanding over the scripture that I study and speak about each week, that would be enough. 
that God loves me that much to put me here doing this so that I could grow in my understanding of just how much God loves me and to share with you that you're loved like that too, that there is a plan for you, a purpose, a calling. I don't know who's been given five talents, who's been given two, and who's been given one, but I know that you have everything that you need according to your ability. You have everything that you use, everything that you need, you have been gifted by God and given by God what you need to bring glory to God. Don't neglect the gift of time. Connect with God so that your time can be used wisely. Encourage and build up that those that you encounter just as you are indeed now doing. Amen.